Hallelujah. Oh, this doesn't sound like people who have been empowered to fast and not eat for a whole day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Emily, for leading us into opening prayer. And God bless everyone for joining us tonight as we are on day one of our fast, um, pursuing greatness for eternal rewards. And um, before we introduce the speaker, you know, for this fast, we really want to get into the slogans because it really energizes and empowers us in our spirit, man. So the slogan, so the slogan for this fast, when I say we are preparing, then you say to meet Jesus. Okay. So I'm going to say we are preparing and then everyone will say to meet Jesus. So I'm going to need everyone. See, Judy understood the assignment. So she unmuted her mic. I'm going to need everyone to do the same thing. Unmute your mic as you say the slogan. We are preparing to meet Jesus. Try out one more time. We are preparing to meet Jesus. And amen, amen. Some of you were lagging, but we will still accept it. Amen. On that note, um, with now much time being wasted, I want to introduce the speaker for tonight. But before I do that, please take note that because we are on Zoom, we want to make sure everyone is muted. So during the speaker's uh, presentation, please make sure you're muting yourself. And then when it's time for prayer, then you can unmute. Amen, amen. God bless you. On that note, I have the singular honor to introduce the speaker for tonight. It is none other than my own older sister, Lisa Amankwa, who's going to rightly divide the word for us. Let's give her a Holy Ghost crazy noise as she comes and announces for Jesus, you need to do better. <laughs> Can you make another round of applause? Give glory to God. <laughs> amen 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 god bless you all for being on those lines tonight do i have some people who are hungry to eat this word tonight if you are hungry yes. Yes. unmute yes. your mics blow it up oh you guys are not blowing up exactly that's what somebody's angry <laughs> You guys are crazy, but in a good way. Um, God bless you guys. God bless you. God bless you guys for being on tonight. Tonight's gonna it's gonna be a power pack night, and um, I'm excited for what God's gonna do. And so, before I even start, let's just say a short prayer before we get right into it. Um, our heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, O Lord, that you get to share who you are with your people, oh God. Father, I pray that as you use me as a vessel, oh Lord, that this word will be a seed planted into the depths of the hearts of your people, oh Lord, that this seed would germinate and bear fruit in their lives and not in just their lives, oh Lord, but everyone they encounter, everyone that they meet for generations and generations to come. And so Father, I say thank you that your will and your glory alone will be seen in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray with thanksgiving, amen. 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 Thank you all for being here tonight. Um, I just want to start off by thanking the leadership for even giving me this opportunity to um to share God's word and just the teachings that God has been teaching me, um, and everything that I've got, you know, that was downloaded to me. I'm sharing it all to you. And so I'm excited. And so before I do that, everyone needs to have a notepad, everyone needs to have something to write because 
today is gonna be it's gonna be a lot so i'm giving you guys a head start just get your notepads get your notes be ready um you never know i might ask some questions and so be prepared amen amen amen, amen. thank you vivian <laughs> amen amen and so i'm gonna go ahead and share my screen um uh, let me know if you guys can feel so weird using the HP, but we move. Um, can you guys see my screen? Yes, ma'am. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, all right, cool. Let me just pull this up. All right, friends and family. Hold on one second. There you go. All right, can you guys hear me? You guys can see my screen? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. We can hear you. And so we're going to dive in today. Um, continue on with the theme. Our, our sister, our deaconess Priscilla, yesterday touched upon the the hounding greatness. And just to, um, actually, I, I don't, I'm not going to even have somebody, you know, reiterate, but the essentially what she spoke about was the greatness of um, what the call for every believer, right? And this hounding greatness. And today we're going to continue off with the the theme of this fast: hounding preeminence and preennial recompense, right? And we're going to continue off with the subtopic, which is eternal reward, eternal rewards. And one of the eternal rewards is eternal intimacy. And tonight we're oh, going to we're going to dive in tonight. As to what that is, and um, just to get into the meat of what eternal intimacy is, and so Priscilla, please be on the lookout if you see anyone that's unmuted, kindly mute them so that we can all be in, um, and all be plugged in. All right, amen. All right, let's dive in. So, eternal intimacy. What is eternal intimacy? What does it mean? And so I defined both words, eternal and intimacy, just so we can have a, a better understanding of what that is. If we don't know, we'll have a much better understanding. And so eternal means existing forever or continual with no time or limit, does not cease, and is forever ongoing, forever, yeah, forever ongoing. And intimacy means a close personal relationship where you become known by someone or they become known by you i'm gonna say it again so intimacy means a close personal relationship where you become known by someone and they become known by you where you start to reveal your heart to that person or that person starts revealing their heart to you right and that revealing of heart tends to grow right the more time that you spend with that person and so meaning that there's like a revealing of hearts towards one another at a greater depth and so just like any relationship, right, and it involves intimacy or close connection where there's always growth and where there's growth, it calls for what deeper connection or deeper connectedness, right? There's always moments where you're learning about that person when you're in intimacy with someone, right? You're always learning about that person or you're always like, you're always, you're growing with them as you're like revealing your heart to them and they're, they reveal their hearts to you. And so a perfect example would be, you think of marriage, right? When you think of marriage, you think of someone, um, when you know someone, right? It's, or so let me backtrack. When you think of marriage, you think of when, um, or when you're getting to know someone in marriage, right? There's always moments where you're learning about them, right? There's never a time where it's like, oh, you already know them. There's, it's always moments of you knowing them and getting to know them, even in the marriage. And that's the way it is 
when it comes to eternal intimacy with God. No matter how much we think we know God, there's always more to know, right? There's always more to know about God. And so tonight we're going to do, we're going to dive into what eternal intimacy is, right? And some truths that's going to help us truly understand this eternal reward that is promised to every believer. And so, what is eternal intimacy? And we just defined it by defining those two words, right? But essentially put together, it means a call to a deeper fellowship or relationship with God that is everlasting, meaning it's forever. It doesn't stop. There's no end. It's continual. And some truths that we want to like, that we want to, that I want to highlight and share with you guys. It's about eternal intimacy is that it is related to our preparation and our walk with God now so if you're taking notes write that down eternal intimacy is related to our preparation and our walk with god now meaning how we commune with god how we fellowship with god now is a key factor to this eternal intimacy that we get to experience with christ and so this is something to note another thing to note is that eternal intimacy is not explicitly written in the bible meaning there's no heading where it says eternal intimacy as a theme or heading right um and then the explanation written underneath it's not what is in the bible okay and so you see the way that god lays out eternal intimacy for us in the bible right is that he does it through the stories and the scriptures and the, the scriptures reveal or the bible uses the stories to help us understand eternal uh, eternal intimacy or the spiritual concepts of it. So I'm going to say it again. So the Bible uses the stories, right? And those stories help us to understand spiritual concepts, which is what eternal intimacy is. And so, for example, let me give you an example. Example would be like Isaac and how Abraham sent out his servant to get a bride for him. And then all these, all these details about the bride and the finding of the bride, which is a reference or which refers to how God himself is searching to find people who will love or who will have a love relationship with him. So that's an example of a story that reveals like, um, the spiritual concepts, right? Another story would be, um, we all know the story of Esther, right? And the story of Esther, which is a story about a woman who was selected, Right. Why was she selected for the role of the greatest intimacy with the king? OK, so that's like the the spiritual concept of that story. Right. That's that the the you have this greatest intimacy with with the king. And that's found in the story of Esther. And so there's many stories like this where there's a natural story. Right. But when you look deeper, when you look beyond that natural story, you see a prophetic picture of something that is to happen in the future. You see a prophetic picture of God restoring or reconciling men and bringing us back to a close relationship with him. And so tonight what's going to happen is that we're going to take a look at the different stories or the different scriptures throughout the Bible that will help us to really, truly understand this eternal reward of eternal intimacy with God. And we're going to look at um, just different benefits of having this eternal intimacy with God. And so that brings me to my first, um, my first question, which is, okay, so how do we enter into this eternal intimacy, intimacy with God? We're talking about inter eternal intimacy. And we're going to, there's questions that I have in there that that you're probably thinking of that we're going to touch upon as, you know, as I go through the slides. So just 
hold on tight. And so how do we enter this eternal intimacy with God? And the first story that we're going to, uh, you know, hit or touch upon is the parable of the 10 virgins, right? The parable of the 10 virgins. And can I get a reader to read Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 12? Matthew 25, verse 1 to 12. Anybody, or I'm going to cold call somebody to read. I can read for you, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12, reading from the New King James Version. Then the kingdom of heaven <laughs> shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took their oil in their vessels with their lamps. Verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Amen. 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 God bless you, Ahoma, um, for reading the parables of the ten virgins. And so, so pretty much a quick synopsis of these verses. Pretty much what it's saying that is that during the end times, when Jesus comes, the kingdom of heaven will be like these ten virgins who took their lamps to meet the bridegroom, right? And so that's what this story is painting. And so there are five wise, um, wise virgin, and there are five foolish virgins. And the parable reveals that some will be given access to great intimacy into this, you know, this big wedding, into this marriage feast, and some will not, some will be excluded. And the thing that we need to see in this story is that one, they were all virgins or all believers, right? Two, that they all had lamps. Three, that they all had oil. And four, that they were all waiting for this bridegroom. Now, let's take a look as to what all these things, these uh, the oil, the lamp, the, the waiting of the bridegroom, what all these things represent. And I'm going to tie it into how we enter into this eternal intimacy with God. And so write these things down. And so the lamps, right? The lamps represent our lives that we live before men. So how we are, right, before men. That's what the lamp represents. It represents the overflow of the life of God within us. So how we live our lives, how we live out the God in us is what this lamp represents. The next thing, oil. The oil represents the tangible presence of God in our lives. It represents the tangible presence of God in our lives. And the last thing to note is that the bridegroom is who? Jesus. So three things. The lamp represents our lives, right? Our lives before men or the overflow of the life of God in us. 
The aura represents the tangible presence of God in our lives. And then three, the bridegroom is Jesus. So now, going to the next slide, right? So the thing to highlight is this part. The wise were wise because what? They prepared ahead of time and paid the price to have the oil. While the foolish ones who were foolish because they failed to anticipate the coming of the bridegroom or or they failed to prepare. And so the key thing to highlight in this parable is that there is a need to prepare for the coming of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. There's a need to prepare for the coming of who? Of Jesus. Right? There's a need to prepare for him. And the thing that this, this, this parable is highlighting is that there's this need for there's this need to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And if we are prepared, right? If we are prepared, we are ready, we enter into this marriage, into this supper, you know, with the Lamb, where there's a season of rejoicing, there's a season of celebration, right? There's a season of festivities, of honor, communion, right? Communion with God. But if we don't prepare, what happens? We do not enter. We do not enter. And another thing that I wanted to note in this verse, especially in the verse eight. Where it says, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps. Um, for our lamps are going out. And so the foolish ones were saying to the wise, yo, give me some of that oil. Give me some of your oil. Give me what you got, right? Give me some of what you have so that I can be ready for this bridegroom. And the wise are telling the foolish, no, you have to pay the price of the oil. So going to the month. My next question, think back to what our question, sorry, think back to what our question was. How do we enter into this eternal intimacy with God? And the answer is there's a price that you have to pay. There's a price you have to pay. There's a price you have to pay. There's a price to prepare our hearts, right? It's to prepare our hearts every day, daily, when you keep your heart, your heart right before God, right? Constantly asking God to prune, prune your heart, right? Prune our hearts, purges of any wicked way, right? Any wicked thing. Right. You your heart having your heart remain soft and tender and pure. What does the Bible say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see this bridegroom. Right. And it only comes when what? When you pay that price. Pray that price in prayer. Pray that price and surrender to him. Pray that price. Right. There's a price to pay in becoming filled with this presence. I cannot just go over to Elder Ben or to Elder K saying, give me some of your word or give me some of the oil that you have. It doesn't work like that, right? There's a price that we have to pay in prayer. There's a price that we have to pay in surrendering everything to him, right? Kind of like what we're doing now. It's a price to pay. And so those who pay the price, just like the 10 wise virgins, those who pay the price, who were prepared, who were ready, will enter, right? And those who did not will not what? will not enter, right? They will not enter. So there's a clear distinction between those who are believers who will get to who will get to experience this eternal intimacy with God. There's a clear distinction between those who will and those who will not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those who will and those who will not. All right, moving on to our next slide. And so now we're going to take a look at another promise in the book of revelations right and the promises that jesus made to the people of laodicea right we're going to take a look at it and seeing how this relates to the eternal intimacy intimacy with god and so if i could have somebody read the book of revelations chapter 3 verse 20 book of revelations chapter 3 verse 20 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 from the NKJV, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me, voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Amen. Amen. Can you read it again from the NLT version, please? From the NLT version, it says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Vivian. And so to give a quick synopsis about this chapter or this verse, right? This is a church where there were things that they needed to overcome. And Jesus was talking to these people, right? Who had to overcome or who overcome and who responded to him and seeing if they were hearing him speak, right? They were seeing, he was seeing if they were hearing him speak. He was saying, I knock, I stand at the door and knock if anyone who hears my voice opens the door, right? And so he was talking to these people, right? And the picture that this verse is painting of Jesus is him being outside of the church when technically he should be inside, right? He should be inside, but he is seeking access to come in. And so what this means is that, or what this is saying, or a, a way to look at this is that sometimes as believers, we can live a life where, you know, where we're living, right? Just living or, you know, being inside the church, doing the things that church people do, right? Or just just doing the mundane routines of what it means to, like, be a churchgoer, right? And doing whatever. And sometimes we can be doing these things, right? Thinking that, oh, we're, we're right standing with God or not even right standing with God. We can, we think, we equate to, we equate us going to church and doing the church things right as an intimate relationship with god and that's not the case right that does not equal to an intimate relationship with jesus where it shows that he's constantly seeking access to our heart or show showing that he's you know checking the different areas of our life and in this verse is saying that he's trying to enter into the doors of our into the door of our hearts right and in this verse is saying it's talking about a promise right to dine with him um, and what does this dining mean, right? If you think about the early church, right? The early church was built on this idea of dining together, of having, of being built around this table of dining together, right? Or dining around the table where there's an opportunity to, to get to know each other, build relationship with each other, right? And so what does this, what does this verse mean in regards to our eternal intimacy with him, right? It means that he is promising us increased access and intimacy with him him knocking at the door of our hearts him calling out our names right it's him giving us this promise right of having an increased access or increased intimacy with him and so you may be thinking now but don't we already have intimacy with god yes we we have we have that now, but to some degree. But when we have this eternal intimacy, we will know him in a much greater way, right? We will know him in a in a way where he's revealing himself to us like never before. And so he's offering this opportunity of a deeper relationship with him. But it requires that we overcome some things, right? It requires that we pay a price, all right? Pay the price. And so the question that I had in mind I, that I mentioned earlier is okay. Don't we already have a measure of this intimacy, right? Then, then if we already have this measure of intimacy, then what will a deeper intimacy intimacy with Jesus be like? I'm gonna say that again. If we already have, right, 
this intimacy with Christ, will a deeper intimacy that he's calling us to, what would this intimacy look like? And I was trying to liken it to something that something that we already know in the natural. So I was thinking of um, the greatest meal that you've ever had after being so hungry, right? You've gone a whole day without eating and you're like craving some, what, good jollof fries, some good, I don't know, fufu. I don't know what you guys like, but you're craving this great meal, right? And it's like satisf satisfying your, your, your hunger, right? Another example would be like, let's say you've gone a whole day without drinking water and then you're like, you're, you're so thirsty, you're so thirsty and then you finally get that drink of water and it quenches the, the depths of your, your, your throat. Right. Um, another example I was thinking of, like, I don't know if you, if you've ever been to the spa, like if you've ever had a, your body so numb and tired and you've gone to a spa to get a nice, good massage, right. That's like what I can relate it to. But to be honest, there's nothing in this physical world that will compare to the level of intimacy that we'll get to experience with Christ. And even David describes what this level of intimacy is like. He said in the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 1, he the intimacy with Jesus is an indescribable pleasure, meaning it's a pleasure that you can't even describe, you can't even put words to, right? And then he also talks about the fullness of extreme joy. Think about when you when you have when you have joy in your heart, right? He's saying there's this measure of full of a fullness of extreme joy. I don't even think you can measure it, but it's a fullness of extreme joy that you will get to experience, right? And so David in the book of Psalms, right, is ex he's experiencing this measure of it on earth and is letting us know that when it comes to the presence of God, when it comes to being in the presence of God, there's an immense joy that comes or a deep sense of pleasure and fulfillment that makes everything else trivial, right? And if you read um, Psalm chapter 36, verse, verse eight, I'm going to read it really quick. Psalm chapter 36, verse eight. It's saying, it says that they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Meaning, so this verse is, is pretty much essentially saying that God has the ability to bring pleasure to us like a river that cannot be stopped. Right. And so there's trouble finding like actual language to describe what the depth of this intimacy will be like in his presence. And so. Another example I can give of what this deeper int intimacy would be like, um, Paul kind of describes it. And he talks about this intimacy in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Can I have somebody read it? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, preferably in the NLT version. I think it paints a very understandable, makes it in an understandable way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. In the NLT version, it says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Jada. And so he's saying, what Paul is essentially saying is that this intimacy that we get to experience is a prize that you win, right? Having this intimacy with God is a prize, is a prize that you win. 
And yes, we're given this relationship with Jesus now, but you can you can you can take that relationship for granted. You can like, neglect it, take it for granted, or not do anything with it to build it. Or or you can or so he's giving you the option. He's saying, Hey, you have this relationship with God, but a lot of times we neglect it, we take it for granted and not do anything with it to build it. And so we can have that, or we can pursue a greater intimacy, right? And the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, where everything else is just junk. And so the key thing to take from this whole thing of um, what David and what Paul is saying is that intimacy is given to us and measured now, but the fullness of it is a prize to be won. Something that we should look forward to. Think about when you're running a race and when you're, when you're, when you're doing something or a competition and there's a prize at the end, right? And so he's saying like the intimacy that we have now, even though we have it now in measure, it doesn't compare to the fullness of what we'll experience later on. And it should be seen as a prize to be won. So he's say, essentially saying that all these things that he has attained, all the accolades, all the degrees, all the, the no notoriety, all the these things, seven-fig jobs, all these things that he has or that this life has to offer, all of that is junk. All of that means nothing compared to this intimacy with Christ. That's essentially what he's saying in this verse, the verse seven to eight, that all these things that we have now, all these things that we think are, are like grand or like that make us who we are, right? And not to say those things are, are bad, they're good, like, like you know Wanting the degrees, wanting the seven-fig jobs, right? All these things are good, but he's saying that all these things mean nothing compared to this intimacy that we get to experience with Christ. And so another example of scripture that refers to the rewards of this eternal intimacy, because remember when I was saying like the Bible reveals the stories and the, the stories gives us a... Uh, understanding of what this eternal intimacy is. So another scripture that refers to this is found in the promise of the church to Pergamon, um, to the overcomer of Pergamon. And I'm going to have someone read Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to take a look at what it says there. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, reading from the NLT version. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Amen. Amen. My God. And so... There's many key things to take note from here, right? He's saying whoever who has ears, right? Um, to one who is victorious, or in other versions say the one who has overcome the things that Christ will be will give to that person. And so some of the things are hidden manna, he'll give them a white stone with a hit with a new name written on it, um, known only to that person who receives it. So what essentially is this verse saying, right? The one who develops a heart that listens. Right. So the one so the overcomer or the victorious person is the one who develops a heart that listens and responds to God. This is what you will receive. Right. And we're going to take a look at um, at manna, uh, what manna is and what hidden manna is, is in the Bible. And if we look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, we won't read it, but I'm going to pretty much sum up what it says or what 
the definition of manna is from that verse. And it says that manna was a food or manna is a food that was supplied supernaturally by God to nourish the people of Israel. Okay. So manna was food that was what? Supplied supernaturally, meaning it was just out of nowhere, right? Supernaturally by God, well, not out of nowhere, from God, right? To nourish the people of Israel. And Jesus is saying to the one who overcomes, right? The one who's victorious, he was saying, I will offer you supernatural food to you. I will offer you supernatural food. And so when Moses was telling the Israelites about this manna in Exodus, right? He was saying that this food, right? This food is the bread that the Lord is giving to you to eat. He's saying that this bread that you have, this manna that you have, is, is bread that the Lord himself is giving to you to eat. And I'm going to tie this all in, so stay with me. And then in the uh, book of Psalms, chapter 78, verse 24, right? I'm, we're not going to read it, but it talks about this same manna. And he's saying, David is saying that this manna, right? This manna is the bread from heaven and that it's the angel's food. This is the angel's food. And so going back to it, Christ said about who's getting this um this this hidden manna, right? He's saying the one who's overcome and the one who's victorious, right? And so he's saying that they will receive this this supernatural food, this bread of heaven, the Lord, the bread of the Lord. And he's saying, in other words, whatever the Israelites ate, right? That thing that they ate, the manna that they ate, supernaturally sustained them. And it was a provision of God that kept them healthy. It was a provision of God that kept them alive. It was a provision of God that kept them vibrant, right? Through that whole journey of the wilderness, of that difficult journey of the wilderness that they had to go through 40 years, right? This is what sustained them. And here in the Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 that we just read, right? He's saying that he will give you some of that hidden manna. He was going to give this hidden manna to you. And so we just wrote, we just read about what this manna is. We actually didn't touch upon the hidden manna. We just read upon the manna, right? The manna that the Israelites got, right? And he's saying that this is the bread of life. This is intimacy with him, like supernatural food that will sustain us. So now the, the verse in the, the verse, the word hidden manna in, sorry, the word hidden manna in the verse 17, we're going to talk about what is the actual hidden manna. We talked about the manna. Now we're going to talk about, we're going to read as to what is the hidden manna. And so stay with me. When you read the Old Testament, right? When you read the Old Testament, after the hidden, after, sorry, after the manna was gathered up, so we're still talking about manna. After the manna was gathered up, a portion of it was placed in a pot right a portion of it was placed in a pot and it was concealed or hidden in the ark of the covenant in the holies of holies okay and so this manna that christ said he's going to give to the overcomers and victor victors right he's saying that this manna from the old testament was hidden a portion of it was hidden in the pot and it was concealed in the holies of holies in the ark of covenant and it was a reminder to the israelites right of the miracle provision and so here you have, right here you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is a box covered in gold or a wooden, a wooden box that was covered in gold. And in it was the Ten Commandments, right? The Word of God, the hidden manna or the hidden supernatural food, and then Aaron's rod that was butted, right? All these things that were supernatural in the thing. And the what the what the Bible was telling us is that the only place that this hidden 
manna can be found was where? In the holies of holies, in the furthermost part of the tabernacle where God dwelt. I'm going to say it again. And so this hidden manna that Christ said he's going to give us, give to us in the Old Testament, it was found in the hidden, in the hidden place of the holies of holies in the furthermost part of the tabernacle where the glory of God dwelt. That's a lot. And so what does that mean? What does this mean when it comes to eternal intimacy? Because we're hearing, we're hearing this, what is this hidden manna that God said he's going to give to us, right? And essentially what he's saying that, he says, I will give you this hidden manna, meaning that he will take us to the very throne room of God and he will have fellowship with us, right? He will feed us supernaturally. It will be a, a we'll be fed and nourished supernaturally. And this is a promise that he has given to the overcomer, to one who has overcome, the one who is victorious. And he's using these different, these, this picture to describe the importance of this promise. And so the hidden manner that God's going to give to us is this intimate, this, this, this supernatural nourishment, right? That can only be found in the throne of God. And when we have deep fellowship with him. And so the next thing I wanted to talk about or get into, or wait, actually, yeah. The promise of the overcomers, throne room of God, flesh of God, and fed, nourish us, him feeding us nourish uh, supernaturally. So the next thing I want us to get to is the next promise, right? Or the next, the next promise that Christ promises us as believers for those who are overcome. And this next promise is to the Pegamon overcomers, overcomers, or the promise and this promise is of the white stone and the new name written upon it. So let me backtrack. I know it's a lot. And so Christ promises us several things, right? And of those promises was the hidden manner. And now of that promise is the white stone with a new name written upon it. And so what is this white stone, right? When I was reading this verse, I was like, what? Why are we given a white stone? What does this actually mean? And so to us, this probably doesn't mean anything, right? But to the people that, Christ was seeing was saying this to, right? To the church that he was saying this to, they knew exactly what this was referring to. This white stone was referring to. And we're gonna look at what this white stone is and what is he referring to. And what does it mean for us? And what does it mean for us to have our new name written upon this white stone? <laughs> and so what is a white stone? A white stone to the people that were listening to this message in Revelation 2.17, right? A white stone, they were aware that. During those times, they had competitions where gladiators, right, or anyone who won victories in the races or anyone who won the competitions or won the games or the battles, they were given this white stone, right? White stone. If you can compare it to, if you can compare it to today, right, it will be like an Olympic gold medal, right? An Olympic gold medal where like as soon as you know, the person who won the medal, you start to see that they become very emotional, right? They start to cry after they've gone through hurdles of things, right? To attain this gold medal because of the amount of work, the amount of suffering, the amount of training, right? Or the enduring difficulty they had to go through to win that that gold medal. And so to compare this white stone to something that we know of today would be an Olympic gold medal. Or to give you, uh, to, to paint even a better picture, it's similar to, so when um, you 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 attain your degree, right? And we're gonna we're gonna dive into a little bit more that of that later on. But when they were given this white stone, it meant that there was some type of acknowledgement of all the work that they have done. 
And so when when Christ was speaking to the church, they knew exactly what he meant when he said they will, he will give them a white stone. They knew because during that time, the white stone had this this amount of significance. And so the people who had the white stone were given special privileges, right? Those who, who won the race, who won the victors, who won the battles, they were given uh, you know, they were given great access to privileges, right? To special events, to special meals. And so similar, comparing it to today, right? Similar to when you win an Olympic medal, right? It's like everyone knows who you are. You're, you can Google your name, your name shows up, right? Everyone wants a picture with you, right? Um, it gave them access. It gave them privileges. It gave them notoriety. And so the people at that time, when Christ was saying you would get a white stone, they knew exactly what he meant. You know, they knew exactly what he meant. Um, I'm going to go to the next slide. They knew exactly what he meant. And so this is what the white stone is. Now, what does it mean that God has written a new name on this white stone? And so when you think of what a name means, right? A name is what you identify as, right? A name means who you are, right? It's your identity. And in the Bible, names often, most most often than not, it also it always signifies the character of the person or the person's destiny. For example, Abraham, right? Before his name was Abraham, it was Abram, and it got changed to Abram, father of many nations, right? Even Sarah, before it was Sarah, before her name got changed to Sarah, it was Sarai. And then when her name was changed, it changed to Sarah. Sorry, Sarah, or mother of nations. Same thing with Jacob. Jacob's name turned to Israel. Simon to Peter the rock, right? And so names signifies character of a person or their destiny. And even Jesus, right? Even Jesus, his name, his name was changed. He was given a new name himself because what? He humbled himself being obedient to death. And now God, the father has exalted him to the highest level possible, right? And so Jesus himself was given a new name, right? His new name was given a new ranking, a new status. Right. Every knee will bow those in heaven or those on earth and those underneath the earth. And so if God gave a person a new name, it changes everything about them. And this is what Christ is saying to the believer that not only will you get this white stone, this notoriety, this this privilege, access to all things, your name will also be changed. Right. And when again, when God gives you this new name, it changes everything about your life. Right. A new name meant a change in relationship, right? A change in status, a change in the role in the kingdom. And so a change in a change in your character or status or you know God's destiny for you was this was what this new name entailed. And so again, this new name which, which no one else knew, no one else, no one else was able to was able to identify. Only it was only between you and God. God knew or God knows. Um, the name that he was giving, that he would give you, and you also will know the name that you will receive from God, and that shows the level of intimacy that God is calling us to, right? That deep personal relationship with God, where it's only between you and Him, right? That shows a closeness of, you know, friends, a friendship, right? Or even when, when you, when you're close with a friend, and there's something that only you know and they know. It's like you sharing secrets with that friend. And so that's similar to that kind of level of intimacy that God is calling us to, right? He's giving us this new name that is altering our status, altering our friendship, altering who we are in him, essentially. So 
that was a lot, no. But to paint, to bring it all and to tie it all, essentially what one of the promises of this eternal intimacy is that white stone, that honor, that access to everything. And also a new ch a change in our name and who we are, our identity, who we are as believers. And so that is what the promises are for the believer. So we're going to move on. I'm actually going to, I'll, I'll briefly go over this, this slide. And so this slide just talks about, again, the promise of the, the Pegamore church that was given to them, right? The promise of the new name and that no one else but you knows God, um, knows that that name besides you and God. And going back to how Jesus' name was even changed. And when it's changed, when it was changed, it was raised to a new level of intimacy, a new level of ranking and a new level of honor. And so, um, I'm not going to touch too deeply on this, but essentially the, one of the promise was the new name that Jesus even got. And then one of the things that came with, um, that comes with us, our names changing is Holy Spirit bringing personal revelations to us, right? Deeper intimacy with us, a deeper level of intimacy with him, um, greater status, greater status and sharing in, sharing in his authority sharing in his authority and so these are all the things that come with all the promises that come with this eternal intimacy for those who are overcomers and those who are the victors and the last but not least another promise that god has given us has given to us is this promise of a morning star and we see that in this verse in Revelation chapter 2, verse 25 to 28. Can I have somebody read that? Revelation chapter 2, verse 25 to 28. Revelation chapter 2, verse 25 to 28, NLT version. And it says, Accept that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. 28. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will give also to them the morning star. Amen. 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 And so what is this morning star that, that Christ has given, has given unto us who are victorious, who have overcome, who are enduring, right? He's given us this morning star. So what is this morning star? In the natural, right? A morning star means the brightest star of the sky or the beginning of a new day. That's what it means. But in reference to the Bible, right? The Bible references this bright, this morning star as reference to Jesus Christ himself. And we can find that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Can somebody read what it says there? Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Revelation, you said Revelation chapter 22, verse 16? Yes. Revelation 22, verse 16. Now, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Amen. Amen. God bless you for reading. So what does this mean? What does this mean to us as we are learning about this eternal intimacy? It means that Jesus Christ himself is our reward. Jesus Christ himself is your reward, is my reward, is our reward. What does that mean? What is 
Jesus Christ is our Lord mean? What does that mean? Right? It means that there will be a greater level of intimacy and relationship and knowing that he will reveal unto us. And so he will reveal himself even more. Right? Him being our reward is him revealing the fullness of himself to, to us like never before. Like we can't even imagine. And so all of these things that I spoke about, the 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 white stone, right? The changing of the new name, the morning star. These are all promises that God has given to every believer, right? Who endures, who pushes through, who sacrifices, who pays the price in prayer, in their hearts, in their will. These are all the promises that God has for us, even us as we are doing this 14-day dry fast, right? As we are doing this 14-day dry fast, these are all the eternal rewards that God has promised for us. That God has promised for you and I. And so as I bring my message to end, I want us to understand one thing. I want us to understand that one of the significant rewards of eternity, right? Of right after we were no longer in this earth, one of the greatest and most significant rewards is a much deeper closeness and intimacy and relationship and knowledge of God, right? That brings us fulfillment and honor to our lives. And that doesn't start when we we decide to like, you know, on our, it doesn't start after, it starts now. It doesn't start after death. It starts right now in this moment, right? Not not later whenever we feel like, or whenever we feel like living a, a life of, of living in a life, a worldly life or living in a life of our flesh. No, it doesn't start when we decide. It starts now when we make a conscious decision, a conscious choice to to pursue God, right? To have fellowship with God, right? And this is especially for the youth that are on this line that are listening, right? That time to develop that relationship with God, that close intimacy is now. Just like the 10 wise, uh, the five wise virgins who anticipated the arrival of the, of the bridegroom, right? They anticipate it, right? Our biggest, the, the biggest thing that I want us to, to get from this eternal intimacy is not just into pursuing God for, for the physical things, right? Or just wanting physical things from God, but it's for us to want him for him, right? For us to want him for him. And the Bible says that Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And this is after Abraham had given up everything, kind of similar to what we're doing now, right? With our sacrifice, sacrificing our food, sacrificing our will, sacrificing our desires, right? Crucifying this flesh, right? He's saying, even after you've done all of that, I am your exceedingly great reward. And so what is God saying to us? That for when it concerns eternal rewards or of the internal intimacy, he's saying that when you've got God, you've got access to everything, everything that you could put your mind to. When you have God, you have access to things that are unimaginable, right? He says that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work in us. But that can only come through what? Deep fellowship and intimacy with God. And so... And you've got God, you've got access to all these things, all these eternal rewards. When you've got, when you, when you've spent that time, when you sacrifice that time, sacrifice that time in prayer, these are all the rewards that God has promised us to us believers. When you seek him and him alone, and not just the earthly things, not just the physical things, but when you seek him, you attain everything from him. Amen.